So I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room, which is the fact that I'm wearing tennis shoes. I'll go ahead and talk about this real quick. Because, no, listen, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. I'll tell you why. So um, the worship team can wear like space boots from Back to the Future Part Two, and everyone's like, how cool are they? And I wear tennis shoes, and this whole weekend, everyone's been making fun of me. So I just wanted to address it, get it out there, right? They're white, and uh, they look like kids. They're not. I, 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 Feiyu, that's right. So someone knows that. So if you've ever done martial arts, these are... So you make fun of me, and then I, I kick you with these shoes. That's, that's what... No, I'm just joking. No, no, no. That's, that's not what happens. That's, that's terrible. We're actually going to talk about that today. That's, that's not the right way to respond. So anyway... <laughs> Glad you guys are here. Um, good to see you guys. We have been, I got, I got quite a bit that we have to cover today. It's not a long chapter. I'm not going to bore you, but there is a lot in this little chapter. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have not been here, the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament is a letter. About 70% of the New Testament are letters, most of those written by Paul. And virtually all the letters kind of do the same thing. They encourage, they teach, they instruct, sometimes they correct things that have gone wrong. And First um, Thessalonians is no different. They all kind of have a, a similar theme to them, if you, if you will, right? To inspire and to educate the church on how they are to live a life dedicated to Jesus. Most of these churches were young. Uh, not necessarily everyone in them was young, but they were new churches and they needed a lot of instruction, okay? And we still need this instruction today. Last weekend, Greg did a really great job with a really tough chapter. Chapter four of 1 Thessalonians is not an easy chapter. Greg taught on that, and one of the things he talked about, because the book of 1 Thessalonians talks quite a bit about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, as we get into 2 Thessalonians in the next couple of weeks, chapter two talks about the Antichrist, right? That'll be fun. Um, and so we get to talk about this anticipation of as Christians, we should be looking forward to Jesus coming back. And I've never thought I would be that kind of person. I don't know if there's anyone else in this room. I, I, I've never been one of those like Jesus come quickly until the last two years. And I'm like, come on back, God. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to get transported out of this place. So, uh, and listen, there's a certain side of us um, that we should live like that. Because the Bible says we are migrants. This is not our home. This is not our forever place. So there should be this yearning to, to be in our home, right? For Jesus to come back and to take us home. There should be that. That's what Greg talked about last week. This week, we are going to talk about the fact that, and, and, and we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' second coming in chapter five as well. But Paul is gonna give us, in my opinion, what may be some of the most clear, straightforward instructions on how to be a Christian in the entire Bible is in chapter five of 1 Thessalonians. Now listen, they are simple. I'll make the argument, the majority of the Bible is very simple to understand, it's not complicated. What's difficult is to implement it because we have to deal with people, and one of those being ourselves. <laughs> That's what makes it complicated. So today we're gonna to talk about the, these teachings of the Bible. Very, very simple, but unless we have God's help, we are incapable of following through on those things. We are incapable of doing those things, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything we'll talk about is in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. Those of you in the back corners, they got the TVs, right? So if I do this and look at the camera, it's like peering into your souls. Do you feel that back there? <laughs> back there in the corners? You know what I'm talking about. They don't know what you're talking about up here, right? Anyways, there's cameras with my faces on back there. A face, I have one face. Anyways, <laughs> everything is on the app if you want that. And um, if you have your Bible, we're in the New Testament. Right after the book of Colossians, we have the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll wrap it up today, get into 2 Thessalonians next week, and then from that we'll do Advent, and then get into 1 Corinthians. So that'll be a good one. And um, keep working through the Bible, okay? All right, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that we could come in here together today, Lord. Thank you um, that we have the freedom to do what we're doing right now. God, we pray that you just bless us, bless us this morning. God, bless this church. Keep your hand on us. We don't just pray for our church, though, Father. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for all of our other campuses and the churches in those cities, God. We pray for our good friends over at Mentor Leaders, Lord, and all the work they're doing all over the world, God, and helping kids. And I pray that we can get all those kids sponsored, Lord, before uh, the end of this month, God. And Lord, we just pray that everything we do today 
that it honors you, and, um, and in that, God, that, that we're blessed as well, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul ends up chapter four with a little bit of talk of Jesus's return, and he's just gonna continue that on, right? Because originally there weren't chapter breaks in the Bible, so, so the, the, the narrative is continuing on. We pick up, though, here in chapter five, okay? Paul writes this. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So, Everyone knew that Jesus was coming back, right? In fact, Paul even says, I don't have to write this to you. You know that Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. The reason why the Christians knew that is because Jesus said this. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the, in the 24th chapter, which is kind of a companion chapter, almost to 1 Thessalonians chapter five, Jesus clearly says, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. Now, when Paul talks about Jesus' second coming in this chapter, He's talking about it in relation to people who believe versus people who do not believe. That coming back is gonna seem different to both people. So here's the thing, if you're a believer in this room, you will not be caught off guard by the second coming of Jesus. Sometimes there's this narrative in church to where we're gonna be shocked when Jesus comes back. You're not gonna be shocked when Jesus comes back. The Bible does not say that. If you are a believer, you will not be caught off guard. Though we will not know the exact day he returns, we will have a sense of the season when Jesus is coming back, okay? Jesus even told a parable in the Gospel of Matthew about a man who knew that a thief was coming to his house. He didn't know the exact time, but he prepared his household because he knew that the thief was getting closer, right? That's like us. So those who are not Christians, though, will be caught off guard. Jesus even says, like in the days of Noah, right? Noah's building this big old boat saying, hey, you guys need to take this seriously. One day it's gonna rain, it's gonna flood. You need to get in this thing with me. You need to help me. We need to honor God. But they just kept living life. The Bible says eating, drinking, partying, just kind of doing, you know, doing what they wanted to do. And when they thought they were peaceful and had security, then sudden destruction came upon them. That's exactly how it will be when Jesus returns. So, Paul says the finality of the end of the world and the end of the world systems is like when a pregnant woman goes into labor and feels those labor pains, right? There's a baby coming. Whether you want it to or not, a, a child is about to be born. So when Jesus comes back, right, it is imminent that everything's going to, to, to fall apart, sudden destruction, and Christians should feel this coming on. We should feel that the coming of the Lord is getting closer and closer. The reason why so many people that are not believers will be caught off guard, though, is the world teaches a sense of false security, that you are peaceful, you are safe, everything is good. Now, what's gonna happen as the second return of Christ gets closer and closer and closer, more societies, I dare say the United States is doing a bang-up job of this right now, moves further away from a dependence on God and more into a dependence on economies, governments, and the ability of humans, humanism. So we will move away from God and more into economic structures, governments, and humanism, human abilities. The problem with these things is that Jesus clearly said these things will pass away. These things are not eternal. These things do not stand the test of time, right? Going back to Matthew chapter 24, he says that. The only thing that's stable is God and his word. Now here's the thing. We don't even need the Bible to show us that humans are, that are full of instability. History tells us this. No human has ever conquered death. There are many diseases that we cannot figure out and overcome. We have not had built an empire yet that has stood the test of time. We constantly fail because that's what we do apart from God, right? Our ways are fallible. They fall apart. They do not work over a long period of time. And the Bible says this, so it shouldn't be a shock to us. Again, I'm gonna say this many times today. We will not be caught off guard. 
So Christians will not be caught off guard, but those who are not in step with Jesus, they don't sense that he is getting closer. And not only will they be surprised by the second coming, listen, they will be horrified. Why? Because at that point it will be too late, right? At that point, there will be no turning back. There will be no relenting and giving your life to Christ because time is done, right? The hourglass is completely empty at this point. Now listen, those of us in this room who have a connection with Jesus Christ, we can feel it getting closer. Now I don't know if it's next Tuesday or in a thousand years from now, but I can feel that times are getting worse, right? And those of you who are Christians in this room, you're like, well, no, duh. I mean, all you gotta do is look around a little bit and it is, it is getting worse. But we live in such self-absorbed times that it's very hard for many people to see how bad humanity is getting because it's hard to see anything when we're always looking at ourselves. But we have such a self-absorbed culture. We're just doing us, right? That's all Americanism tells you to do. Just do you, right? It's about self-care. It's about you taking care of yourself. It's about you doing your life. Not only do we throw out faith, we throw out logic, reason, biology, all those things in the pursuit of doing what we want to do. So though the thief's return, Jesus, right? Though Jesus's return should be felt, we are so distracted in our culture and we are so selfish in our culture that it clouds our reception, right? And we do not feel what we should be feeling. So when Jesus returns, there will be no escape from his judgment for the people that have lived in rebellion to him. For people who have not accepted Jesus, there is no escape when he comes back. Now listen, the good news is if you're a Christian in here, you don't have to face the judgment of God. The Bible says we are justified, which means we've already been pronounced innocent. We don't have to face the judgment of God. But for those that do have to face the judgment of God, there is sudden destruction. Now that destruction is not death, it's much, much worse than death. It's much worse. The sudden destruction that will happen, and it talks about this in the book of Revelation, will be a sudden collapse of all worldly institutions. They will all be brought down. Not only that, the, 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 the time frame of people being separated eternally from God will start at that point. The world's systems will collapse, and God's about to judge, as the Bible says, the quick and the dead, right? And he is going to separate those that have not followed him eternally from himself, okay? Now that starts off pretty negative, but yeah. But look what Paul says here. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Let me pause there. And a lot of churches are like, boom, you're gonna get shocked. And the Bible just says right there, you're not gonna get shocked. It's not going to surprise you because you're not in the dark. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest. Let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. For those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love in a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, that means alive or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So again, the true Christian will not be surprised or fearful of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not in the dark. So we should be anticipating, looking for the signs of Jesus's return. But those who are in the dark will not see it. Now darkness in this instance means spiritual darkness, uh, moral blindness, if you will, because this is our compass, this is our barometer of what is right and wrong. If people do not read this book and follow this book, they have no compass of what is right and wrong. They're in the dark, right? Like if we were to make this room pitch black and no one knew where the exits were and we were all trying to find the direction to go, it would be chaos. That's the world we live in right now. So people who reject Jesus and his teachings have no moral compass. They don't know what direction to go in. And Paul makes it very clear that's not you. That's not Christians. We don't, belong, we don't belong to the night. 
So this means that we are to not be asleep. This means asleep spiritually, that we should be awake to spiritual things. What falling asleep is, is a picture of what can happen to us if we're not paying attention, if we're not living in a relationship with Jesus, we fall asleep spiritually and that affects our ethics, how we work, how we do business. It affects our morals, how we live, what is right and wrong. So if we're called to not be asleep, but to be awake, how do we stay awake? Glad you asked, it's right here. We pray, we we have a conversation with God on a daily basis, we read the word of God, and we listen for God to speak to us. And this is how we stay alert. This is how we stay awake. Not only staying awake, we're also to be self-controlled. It's gonna be fun. So we are to be sober-minded, we're to be alert, we're to be self-controlled. Let me give you a free history lesson real quick. So when I was in college, for some reason, I was enamored with Russian history. I don't know why, I studied, studied Russian realism like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Chekhov and writers like that. I even took Russian language. I speak Russian, but very poorly. So and I, I, I studied Russian language, studied a lot of Russian history. I just thought it was very, very fascinating. They were very fascinating people. And if you go back, because all of you are, I'm sure you're gonna do this on your way home. Um, if you go back and study 20th century Russian history, when Vladimir Lenin was ending the Bolshevik Revolution, They had made vodka illegal, right? Because he was a very disciplined man. He believed in communism. Get rid of anything that could inebriate the people, make them sober-minded, clear-minded, right? So he got rid of vodka. The young man that preceded him came after him, really happy fellow named Joseph Stalin. He stepped into power after Vladimir Lenin, and he saw, listen to me real carefully, listen to me, because in America, we think we're the first ones to do everything, right? In Russia, in the 1930s and 40s, during the time of after World War I and before World War II, a tyrant and a dictator saw, listen, that if the government took control of vodka, rationed out vodka to the populace, and then taxed them on top of it, not only could they make the society inebriated and drunk and, 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 and out of their minds and docile, that they could also make money off that. What this tyrant saw was that when people are not in a clear mind, they're easily controlled. It's called weed in the United States right now. Everyone awake now? Because here's the thing, what we need now is a more stupid inebriated populace, don't we? What we need is more people who are not thinking straight, not working hard, not self-controlled. Tell me all you want that it's just a harmless thing to do, and all I have to do is point to you to the scripture. That's all I have to do. It's not me, it's God. Be sober and alert, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion. I don't even need the Bible to tell me that, just look at history. But we're Americans, we're so enlightened and so educated, you're just doomed to repeat the the same mistakes of the past. And the Bible warns us of these things. We are to be clear in our thought, because when we're not clear in our thought, it is evil, it is, it is very easy for evil to control us. That's why the Bible says this, right? I just quoted Peter and I quoted Paul. So it boils down to living your life on purpose. And the only way to live your life on purpose is to have a clear mind. We have to be intentional. We have to pray, we have to read, we have to meditate, we have to ponder, we have to think, we have to clearly act. And we're gonna make mistakes, so we also have to live in the grace of God because we're going to do things wrong. But we have to choose to be in healthy places with healthy people doing healthy things. We have to make that choice. And then when we do make foolish decisions, we go back to God, we repent for our sins, and God puts us on the proper path, right? Okay, free history lesson for you right there. Isn't that great? So Paul tells the Thessalonians, to put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, what does that mean, right? Armor protects your chest, it protects your heart. Breastplate, that's what they call that. Helmets, of course, protect your mind, your brain. What Paul is saying is we have to pray to God to protect our hearts, which means our emotions and our feelings. We're a very emotionally driven society right now in the United States, and the Bible says our emotions can lie to us. So God has to protect that. He has to protect that. We also can be tempted to think bad things. 
right? So we need God to protect our minds, our thoughts from the evil around us. And the only way to do this, to keep our hearts and minds protected is to have a relationship with God. And that protects us from those evil things seeping in. Because here's the thing, you are not designed to be punished by God. You were not created for God's wrath. The Bible even says it is not God's desire, it is not his will that any perish. God does not want any of you to experience his wrath. He does not, but instead receive salvation through Christ. Now, some people have a really, really hard time with the fact that God has a wrathful side. That's like saying that you have a really, really hard time with the father protecting his children. It's the same thing. God is our heavenly father, and the reason why evil has to be held accountable, listen, is because evil hurts people, and people are God's most prized possessions. And because all sin affects other people, all sin affects other people. Weed doesn't affect other people. There's a young man that comes to this church. I did his wedding a month after he and his fiance, or I was scheduled to do his wedding, it got pushed off because of this, was driving down Memorial, right, going 30 miles per hour, he and his fiance listening to worship music on their motorcycle, just driving down the road, doing everything right, going 30 miles per hour. A young girl who had just smoked a joint, right, not in the car, but she was at somewhere, smoked a joint, turned an illegal left, T-boned this couple who were on their bike. She flew off, had permanent brain damage. He flew off and now he's paralyzed from the waist down. And whenever I hear people say, it's just harmless drugs, is it? You go find this young couple and you go tell them that. You go tell them it's just harmless stuff. You're just doing you, right? Doesn't affect anyone else. Bull crap. It doesn't affect other people. Evil, listen, evil must be held accountable because all forms of evil hurt people. Well, I got divorced, but it was amicable. It didn't affect my, chid, my, my kids. Ask them that. Ask them if it didn't affect them. Ask them if it's easy, right? All sin and evil hurt people. I'll move on, I'm sorry. So through Jesus, we not only avoid the second coming of God, we live fulfilling lives now. When we have a relationship with Jesus, salvation is not just our eternity. Salvation is your day-to-day. It's your relationships, your friendships, your, your, your raising your children, your, your work, everything, right? And we, to, we are to encourage each other on a day-to-day basis because it gets hard. Life is difficult. It is very, very, and it's not getting any easier, it seems. So not only do we need God, we need each other. We need each other, right? You need good people in your life to, to encourage you, to hold you, to lift you up, to hold you accountable, right? We need this in our lives. Okay, next part. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. It's easier said than done, isn't it? And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, look at how simple this is, warn those who are idle, Comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, always pursue what is good for another and for all, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This is very, very good. The first thing that Paul says is in relation to how the church treats church leadership. Now, this is, this is, a, this is a twofold thing, okay? And this is, I'm just gonna be super honest with you. On one end, we should respect authority. All authority I would make the case that especially spiritual authority, right? So if you meet someone who's a pastor, they may not be your pastor, but there's a certain level of respect you should have because they're a pastor. That position should garner respect, okay? We should should honor and respect those who work hard for the benefit of the church, okay? We should also be at peace with our leadership, which means if if you have a problem with the church, you you have to be a, a big boy, a big girl, and not gossip and slander, just Send an email, call the church, talk to someone, be at peace with your leadership, okay? Now that's one hand. The reason why I think so many of us, including myself, right, have such a hard time with this is a lot of pastors have not lived in a way that garners honor, 
So it's a double submission. Yes, you should respect church leadership, but church leadership needs to live in a way that is respectful. It needs to be both of those things. And the book of Timothy and Titus talk about this with church leadership, how to live in a respectful manner. So that was how the church should look at church leadership. This part is Paul talking to all Christians, right? This is for all Christians. Look at how simple this is, but so profound at the same time. Very simple list. It's all self-explanatory, but we'll go over it anyways, right? The first one is warn those who are idle. That's for all of us. That's not just for a pastor. If you have a friend and that friend is, is not showing up to small group, they're not coming to church, you, you see them maybe doing some things in their life that you know is not good for them and it's what God doesn't want for them, it is out of love that we go to them and we say, listen, if you keep going down this road, it's gonna be bad for you, right? You're getting distant from God. You're getting distant from the people that love you. Your marriage is on the rock, whatever the case may be, right? That, that we are to warn those who are idle. We're also to comfort the discouraged. This is a big one for me because I'm one of those half glass empty kind of people. You guys are like, well, no, duh. You ever heard yourself preach? Anyways, so... <laughs> I can kind of, I can, I can gravitate towards depression if I'm not careful. Um, about three years ago, I got a Christian counselor. He lives in Franklin. He's a wonderful man. He's helped change my life. But I go to him every single month. I've been doing that for three years now. Because this time of year, right, when it gets dark at 2 p.m. And, um, <laughs> and, and when it gets to be about Christmas time, I struggle. I'm just being very honest with you guys. The darkness, literal darkness is hard for me. And because my family is, is, is kind of broken up and messed up, uh, the holidays are not always fun for me. So I needed someone to encourage me. I needed someone to, to walk with me, to pray with me, to help give me some tools, right? And that's what we're to do for each other. Comfort the discouraged. Help those who struggle with depression and hopelessness. We are to help the weak. This means spiritually weak, okay? We are to help the spiritually weak. Teach them the word of God. Walk with them. Make disciples, right? Here's a, here's a good one that we all fail at. Be patient with everyone. Paul has to throw in everyone. If he just would have said, be patient, we could be like, all right, I can work on that. And then he says, with everyone, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. You know, we will try. I'll do my best. But when you get on I-24, the Holy Spirit is nowhere on that whole stretch of highway, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit's kind of leaving all the Murfreesboro roads too. You drive from one side of town to the other and be patient with everyone. It's hard, man. It's really, really tough. You're like, I, see, I have this idea. It's the 11 o'clock, so I can take a little extra time. I always joke around with, with Brooker. I said, we should do like a 12-week series on turn signals, turning lanes, and the right of way. <laughs> we should do just, <laughs> we could co-write a book about it, maybe do like kind of a DVD series or something. What does it mean if two people pull up at a four-way stop? Who gets to go first? All you do is do this. This is your right. That person gets to go first, right? It's called the right of way. Very simple stuff. Anyways, be patient with everyone. <laughs> we are also to not repay evil for evil. Another tough one. Because in our culture, we're taught that if someone shoves you, shove them back, right? Jesus was so countercultural. Jesus said this, if they try to take your shoes, give them your shirt. If they slap your left cheek, offer them your right. Jesus said, if they ask you to walk a mile, walk two. That's very countercultural but we are to not repay evil for evil. Even with our enemies, we are to not repay evil for evil. That's very difficult, guys. Here's another good one. Pursue what is good for each other. Imagine if we all did what the Bible said and we outdid each other with honor. Imagine if everywhere we walked in every interaction with another human, we tried to do more for them than they, they, that they were gonna do for us. Here's a sad piece of, of truth you will very rarely get out of people what you put into people, but that's not the point. Jesus doesn't get out of me what he's put into me, quite frankly. So that's not the point, but we are to love and outdo each other with how we treat them. And imagine if we all did that, it'd be paradise. Life would be fantastic. Uh, can I get the door for you? No. Can I get the door for you? No. Can I get it for you? We are to rejoice, pray constantly, and give thanks. We're to acknowledge the fact that we're blessed. Not only that, we are to pray constantly. What does that mean? Does that mean pray 
all the time. Some of your Bibles say, pray without ceasing. What that means is that we are to have a prayer life, right? I talk to my wife every single day. I hope all of you talk to your spouse every single day if you're married. Just like that, we should talk to our Heavenly Father, right? Our husband, every single day. And it doesn't have to be like a scheduled out time, though I think that's good and, and very healthy. It can just be you just impromptu talking to, to Jesus all the time. I have done that. I still do that. I bet I pray 15 times a day, short little time. Now listen, I'm not telling you that to make you think that I'm holy. I'm confessing to you that I know how, just how unholy I can be if I'm not talking to Jesus all the time. That's why I do that. I talk to Jesus all the time because I know how quickly I can get derailed and not do these things. And then we are to give thanks. The first thing you should always say when you pray is thank God. You should become last, right? Thank you, God, forgive me for this. I wanna pray for everybody else and then you can get to yourself. We should always be last in our prayers. We are to not stifle the spirit. The way we stifle the spirit is when we don't live in accordance with the Bible or we deny the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's when we're living in sin or maybe we're not living in sin, but we just don't think God can change us. We don't think God can deliver us. We don't think God can do these things. It even says in the gospel that Jesus would go town to town and the towns he didn't do much work in, it's because they didn't believe he could do it. So it stifled Jesus. It stifled the work that he wanted to do in their lives. He could do it, but they wouldn't let him do it. We are to not despise prophecies, but test all things. Now, prophecy gets confused a lot. In the Old Testament, it was kind of a foretelling of the future, pretty much, right? Proclaiming the future events to the masses of people. The New Testament is a little bit different. Prophecy can be simply reading the word of God. This word is true, and when someone reads the word of God, that is, that is prophecy, that is truth being proclaimed, okay? Another way that prophecy is in the New Testament is it is a supernatural gift given to us by God where God may show us something about someone else or reveal something. And so maybe you have been at church and someone has walked up to you and said, I was praying about this and God told me to tell you this. Now listen, I don't despise that, that's all good. But Paul makes it clear, if someone comes up to you and says, God told me this about you, the first thing you are to do is to run to the word of God and make sure that whatever they told you aligns with the character of God. So if your girlfriend walks up and says, hey, I was praying the other night and God told me that you need to ditch your husband and that cute guy in the cubicle over there, you should pursue him. Um, that doesn't align with this. So you might've prayed to a God, but not the God, right? That was, you're not talking to the same God, right? Something has gone amiss. Okay, the most simple thing in the entire Bible Paul gives us in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, and it is simply this, hold on to what is good. Well, Corey, what is good? What this book teaches is good. The principles and instructions on in this book, hold on to these things. And then Paul says, and stay away from evil. We have to choose to walk away from evil things. Do you know the Bible even says that we are to run from things like sexual immorality? Don't hang around it, because if you hang around it, you're gonna fall to it. Get away from it. Stay away from those things, because they will hurt you, they will hurt your relationship with God, they will hurt the people around you. Stay away from those things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from things that are evil. Okay, last part, we're almost done. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here's something Paul says. He says, the God of peace sanctify you completely. Which means when we change and when we turn into what God wants us to be into, that's what sanctify means, to be made more into the image of God for God to use us. Now, God is the one that does that to us. We don't do it. The only thing that we are responsible for is being humble and submitting and relenting to God. That's all we're responsible for. The key for us is humility. When we are humble and we give God everything, God goes, I'm gonna do something awesome with you, right? He changes us, he develops us. And so if we allow him to do that, when he comes back, we don't have anything to worry about. We will be sound, we will be blameless at his coming, right? But that's because we've had a relationship with Jesus. And then he says, God is faithful to do this. So God works in every part of our lives. Again, 
if we will relent, if we will submit to his will, to his ways, if we will walk in humility, God will help you with your work situation, with your relationships, with your children, with your insecurities. He'll help you through your faults and your failures. He will help you. He will transform you. He will change you. He is faithful. He can do it and he will do it, but we have to give it all to him. We have to say, here's my job. Here's my marriage. Here's my kids. Here's the fact that I'm insecure. Here's the fact that I struggle with depression during the winter months. God, it's all you. Here, I give it all to you. And if we will give that to him, he is faithful to do good things with us. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me too. But we have to, James even said he stands at the door and knocks. And all our responsibility is, is it says we open the door and he comes in and he eats with us, right? So all we have to do is open the door. All we have to do is relent, submit, humble ourselves. And so Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Take this letter, right? And read it to all the brothers and sisters, all the Christians, read it to them. And I love this. I just, I just love the way Paul writes to them. He says, in grace to you, in peace to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, right? So what we learn is Paul had no motive for writing this letter. He had no motive of fame, of fortune, of popularity, of status, of power, none of that. His motivation was God gave me this letter because it would be a blessing for you and I love you. So read this. Read it to every Christian you come in contact with, right? Read this, because it's what God wants us to do. So listen, let's be honest today. I, I value the fact that we're a very, very straightforward and honest church, right? Maybe so honest that when you guys make fun of me about my shoes, I wish we weren't that honest, but we're a very honest, straightforward group. Here's the thing, the first thing we have to ask ourselves, guys, and listen, this is no condemnation because I have fallen asleep before. But we have to ask ourselves, are we spiritually awake or are we asleep? Let me show you a lot of grace because I mess up a lot too. It is extremely easy to fall asleep right now spiritually. There is so many distractions, so many temptations out in the world right now that it's very easy to become spiritually lazy, spiritually apathetic. Um, my, my buddy Les, he's actually sitting here right now. He hooked me, uh, Zach, who played drums this weekend, Travis that did announcements, and Zach's brother-in-law, Matt, up uh, to go to this huge car show in Las Vegas, SEMA, if you've ever heard of that. And so I'd never been to Las Vegas before, and, and um, it was kind of neat to, to hang out with Les and eat lunch one day at, at SEMA. And so we went out to, to SEMA, but it, it stops every day at five. And so you'd have just, just kind of a lot of time to do whatever. And Las Vegas, never been to Las Vegas, so went and saw the Hoover Dam. That was really, really cool. And we stayed in the Mirage, so I got to see that kind of side of the strip. And that, I mean, that was pretty interesting. And, but I said, I wanna go see old Vegas, right? I wanna see Fremont Street. That's where Ocean's Eleven was shot. And I'm talking about the old Ocean's Eleven, not the one you youngsters know about with Brad Pitt and George. I'm talking about Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford and, and Sammy Davis Jr. I wanna see that side of Vegas, right? Little did I know that side of Vegas has become Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Has become the, the ultimate uh, terrible place to be. And I just wanted to see the cowboy. You guys know what I'm talking about? The cowboy on Fremont Street, who's not even lit up and his hand doesn't even move anymore. But I, I wanted to go see that. So we go to Fremont Street. Those three blocks are, are all blocked off now. You don't drive on them, you walk on them. There's this LED screen that's wider than this, this church, I kid you not and it goes all three blocks down and it kind of arches up. So it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It looks like, you know, crazy stuff's going on all around you. People are zip lining down all three blocks and there's naked people running around. That's not an exaggeration. There's bands every 150 feet, different bands. So there's just stuff. There's casinos, there's restaurants. There's all this stuff. I told you other guys, let's not make eye contact with anyone. Just, I wanna see the cowboy and get the heck out of here. And so the whole time we're, we're walking and I'm, you know, I'm looking straight, don't see anything around me. And I took a, a, a video because I wanted to show my wife. And so I, I get the whole screen and I get down this Fremont Street and she just sent back, she goes, it's almost like overstimulation. And I said, exactly. And, and it's interesting what those three blocks of old Vegas kind of represent is, is that's American culture right now. 
It is, it is overstimulation, it is constant distraction, it is constant lust, it is things all around us, every corner, audibly, visually, everything, right? And it is so easy for us right now. That's our society. It is so easy for us to get spiritually distracted, lulled to sleep spiritually. And the only way to stay awake is through prayer, it's through the word of God, through the obedience of the word of God. That's how we stay sober. That's how we stay awake. What that means is being alert and sober is synonymous with being intentional. You are too special to God to live life haphazardly and reckless. You're too valuable. Did you hear me? You're too valuable. So we are to live our lives on purpose. Because God has a plan for all of you in this room. God loves you. You are made in the image of God. You are invaluable to the creator. Therefore, we do not live this life recklessly. We must live this life awake, vigilant, diligent, right? Sober-minded, intentional. That's how we stay awake. That's how we stay awake. So not only are we awake or asleep, let me ask you this, are we fearful or are we at peace? Now, the root of how we get the answer for do we live in fear or do we live in peace is where do we find our security? If you find your sense of security in the US government, it's no wonder why you're in paralyzing fear. It's a wreck. If you find your sense of security in the US dollar, I hate to tell you, it's not worth what it used to be and it's only gonna get worse. It's a wreck. When we find our sense of security in passing fads or sex or money or whatever the case may be, listen, if we find our sense of security in our families even, God forbid those can be disrupted. People can die. Even if we find our sense of security in things that, that honor God, but if we find our sense of security in anything but God, we set ourselves up for failure. We set ourselves up for a false sense of security or to live in debilitating fear. Because here's the thing, a life built on the fragility of the world, that means the, the, the fragileness of the world, the fact that none of these things stand the test of time. If we build our life on things that do not stand the test of time, the fragility of the world, we will go to one of two extremes. We will either live in paralyzing fear Fear of war, fear of pandemics, fear of governments, fear of Republicans or Democrats, fear of the economy tanking, fear of losing my job, fear of whatever. We will live in debilitating fear. And let me stop here for a second. The Bible clearly says that you are not designed to live in fear. That is a spirit not given to you by God, the Bible says. How dare you? I'm just quoting to you the scripture that through God, we are given a spirit of confidence and power and peace. The Bible says, we're not designed to live in paralyzing fear. It doesn't mean you tightrope over Niagara Falls. Don't be stupid, right? But we do not live in paralyzing fear. It's the best thing I could come up with. Other thing, the other extreme we go to is if we base our life on the fragility of the world is we live in very dangerous negligence. What that means is we're Americans. We're never gonna fall. I'm healthy. I'm never gonna get hurt. I can do it my way. And we live in this very false sense of security. And just like the Bible says, whenever we're saying peace and security, sudden destruction. Sudden destruction comes upon us because we're not living the way we should. Do we live in fear or do we live in the peace of Christ? Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? That's a gift that he wants to give us. So we are only able to navigate this life. We are only able to live in anticipation of Jesus returning if we have faith in God, if we have faith in what the word of God says, that's the only way. And here's the thing, the word of God is not overtly complicated. The reason why the instructions of the Bible are complicated is because without God, we lack discipline, we lack self-control, we become selfish. This is why we need the guidance of the word of God. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because we can't do it alone. This is why we need the grace of God, because we're gonna mess up. But by the grace of God, we're forgiven and put back on the track, right? Moving in the right direction. We need God. It's not complicated. 
but it's hard if we don't do it with him. So here's the thing. We'll just ask ourselves, let's be honest. Are we warning the idol? Which means if there is someone in your life that they know better, but they're not living the way they should, do you love them enough to tell them? Well, what if it burns my relationship? I'd rather your relationship be burned and them eventually give their life back to Christ and go to heaven than you be best friends. I'd rather hurt your feelings and you go to heaven than you like me and you go to hell. It's a problem with American pastors right now. They're more concerned about being liked than they are about teaching the truth. And that's a problem. It's, it's not biblical. Warn the idol. It's for all of us. Comfort the discouraged. That's for all of us. Help the hopeless. Pray for those people. Reach out to them. Help the spiritually weak. Teach the word of God. Make disciples. And be patient with everyone. Don't repay evil for evil. Revenge is nowhere in the vocabulary of a true Christian. We're to not repay evil for evil. We're to not gossip if we're gossiped about. We're to not slander if we're slandered about, right? That's not us. That's not how we're supposed to live. We are to pursue good things for other people. Even if you never reciprocate that love, I'm gonna love you. Even if you never hold the door open for me, I'm gonna hold the door open for you every time, right? Even though you may never wish good things for me, I'm gonna wish good things. Do you know that's the true definition of love? Is to want what's best for someone else. That is the true definition, right? That's why when we say we love people but we never share the truth with them, that's not really love. Because if you want what's best for them, you're gonna share the truth with them. You're gonna tell them those things. Pursue good things for other people. Pray constantly and give thanks. Listen, every single day, brothers and sisters, you need to spend some time in prayer. I suggest having some kind of set-aside time, 15, 20 minutes where you pray, right? And then I suggest that throughout the day, you just, hey, God, I love you. I love you. Thank you for today, God. Keep your hand on me today. I'm about to go into a business meeting, Lord. Just give me wisdom as I go in there. God, I'm dealing with this difficult person in my office, right? Kyle, usually. Dealing with someone difficult, right? <laughs> God, just give me patience today. Help me, help me with that, Lord. <laughs> and give thanks. God, you're good. God, you're good. Do you know that God doesn't owe us anything? You guys know that? Everything we have is because God is gracious. He's good. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit, which means we have to live in accordance with the Holy Spirit. And trust the Holy Spirit. Well, I can never overcome that. Who says you can't overcome that? By the power of God, you can be delivered. You can be changed. You don't have to have a bad temper or an addiction or whatever the case may be. Don't stifle the Spirit but also make sure that we test all things. Let me tell you something. God will never tell you anything contrary to his word. Well, God told me this. Does it align with this? If it doesn't, then God didn't tell you that. God didn't tell you that. Test all things. Listen, test all things that I tell you in here. Everything. Don't just take it from me, right? Go home and test it. Look it up. Make sure that I'm teaching you the truth, right? This is heaven and hell we're talking about. Test all things. Test all things. And the last thing Paul says, which is the most simple thing, maybe in the entire Bible, this may be the most simple thing in the entire Bible. This is the advice your grandmother told you, right? Do good, don't do bad. That's pretty much it. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is good. And let go of what is evil. Again, people always say to me, well, Corey, I don't know how it happened. How did, I don't know how I got into this situation. I don't know how me and my boyfriend had sex. I don't know how it happened. Well, you were hanging out on his leather couch at three o'clock in the morning, right? Watching HBO, Skinamax or whatever, right? How did it happen? I can tell you exactly how it happened. Do you need me to give you a biology lesson or tell you what pheromones are or any of that? Do, do you need me to do that? When we flirt around with evil things, Shockingly, evil things happen. Isn't that crazy? But when we move away from evil and we gravitate towards good, we live a life that is blessed by God and we get closer to him and we're strengthened and we're empowered, right? Hold on to what is good, move away from what is evil. We have to do that on purpose, on purpose, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you are in this room and maybe you're not a Christian 
or maybe you're very new to the faith, or maybe you just have some questions. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. He does all of our small groups. Um, he would love to talk with you. He's not afraid of questions. He may not have every answer to everything, but he'll do his best. So if you have any questions here in a minute, please come up here and talk to Carl. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there have been times in my life when I didn't have the strength to pray for myself and I just needed someone else to do it for me. Please, if you, if, if you find yourself in that kind of position, let someone up here pray for you. The Bible says where any two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. So please, let someone pray with you. The last thing is, is all around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's communion. There's, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What that means is, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, if you ever wondered how faithful God was, Paul says in this chapter that God is faithful. If you ever wondered how faithful God is and how much he loves you, God sent his only son to be brutally murdered for you. That's how much God loves you. Of course, we know that Jesus didn't remain dead. He was resurrected. And because of that resurrection, we have the power of the spirit of God that lives with us. If we will just be humble and let him work in our lives, he will do that. He loves you. So all the way around this room, if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to go and get communion. And you can take the body and the blood of Jesus and maybe meditate on that God loves you, that he wants to help you, that he wants you to live in the light, not the darkness. He doesn't want you to live in fear. He wants you to live in confidence and peace. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church so much. I pray, Lord, that you keep everyone in this room safe, Lord. I pray that you keep them healthy. I pray, Father, beyond their physical health, God, I pray for all of our spiritual health, Lord, that we would remain awake and alert, God, focused on you, Lord, not afraid of the world around us, God, but anticipating your return, Lord. I pray, God, that we can love those around us, Lord, that we can receive love, that we can, we can just be what you want us to be, God, that we can gravitate towards what is good and move away from what is evil. Bless all my friends in this room, God. Protect them until we meet again. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.